1: He tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hi, I'm Jan Halregal. Welcome to the Sportsman of the Year a Suburban Philosophy. Just a warning before we get started some of the language can get a bit tough at times. I am from West Auckland, after all. And we also talk about some stuff you might find upsetting, and some stuff you will hopefully find funny. So take care of yourselves, okay? Once I had a chat to Michael Stipe from REM at an after party in Melbourne. I would never approach anyone at those sorts of functions without being introduced, so I was sitting forlornly in a corner, sipping on a wine, minding my own business, when he came up to me and said, why do you have wanker written on your boot? Yes, I did have the word wanker written in a dark black felt pen on my brown bloodstone boot. I replied, um, because someone wrote on them while I was in the studio recording my album. So that got us talking about music, which of course was the only thing I wanted to talk about. And I told him how much I liked R.E.M.'s earlier work and how it was very influential. He was very interesting and I was relieved to have someone to talk to. The moral of the story is, if you are shy and would like help talking to super famous people in an overwhelming situation, perhaps this sort of approach will help. It will ruin your boots though. Just after the song The Way I Feel from the album It's My Sin was released, my band and I were asked to be the support act for The Cure at the Mount Smart Supertop in Auckland. It would be by far the biggest audience I had ever played, and I was very nervous in the days leading up to the show, not helped by the steady stream of inquiries as to whether I thought I would meet Robert Smith, The Cure's singer and songwriter. A few days before the show, I remember hearing someone plugging the concert on a local commercial radio station, and the radio jock said, In support for The Cure is someone from Switzerland or something called Jan How Eagle. Here is his song, The Way I Feel. It was a bit of a surprise to a lot of people that I was just Jan from West Auckland, but for a while there, I was treated as truly exotic. I believe my music was played a lot more when everyone thought I was from out of town. Anyway, back to Mr. Smith. On the night of the show, we arrived backstage at Mount Smart Stadium to find a glossy, fabulous, cream and brown caravan, and it was all for us, the support band. Inside the caravan was a rider of assorted beverages, I think I bought the whiskey, and a lovely 4 formica table to sit around. Everyone in our party was extremely excited about the prospect of meeting Robert Smith, except me, because I was way too self-absorbed to care. Mostly I was just thinking, I hope I don't screw this up. As call time for our slot approached, everyone in our caravan, except my drummer Wayne Bell and me, cleared out to check their gear was on stage. Wayne and I were still blathering on about something when Robert Smith poked his head in the door and said, ''Mind if I come in?'' No, we didn't mind. Wayne, Robert and I sat around that formica table having a whisky and chewing the fat. He asked us about our music and a little bit about this and that, drained his glass and said, ''Have a great gig.'' and left. Just before we went on stage, we said to our crew, ''You will never believe this.'' But Robert Smith popped in to say hello.'' There were howls of disappointment and disbelief, as you could imagine. So, on to the stage we went. The band played well, and it was one of the highlights of my performing career. The audience loved the songs, and considering we were just the support acts, we received an amazing response. Afterwards, we went back to the caravan and whooped and hollered about what a great gig we had, while the main act, The Cure, was preparing to go on. Everyone except Wayne and I decided to go out the front and try and get a good position to watch them play. Wayne and I were continuing to blather on over a scotch when once again, Robert Smith poked his head in the door and said, Mind if I come in? We said, Sure. Robert told us that he enjoyed our show and thought our songs were great. Then he said he'd better go and play his show, so off he went. Wayne and I jumped out of the caravan and went to have a listen. They were fantastic. Wayne and I saw Robert one more time that night as he popped in to say goodnight and left. I have no idea where everyone else was that time, but you can imagine the reactions when we told everyone that Robert Smith had been by three times and they missed every single visit. For years since, I've had young goths and emos asking me, is it true that you met Robert Smith? And I can honestly say, yes, I did. Three times. Three times. In 1992, I was asked to support former Talking Heads frontman David Byrne on his New Zealand tour. Stop Making Sense was the album I played on high rotate in my seventh form year at high school, so it was very surreal to meet him in real life. We played Wellington in Auckland and I spent a bit of time with him talking about life and music. The first show was Auckland and we were at the Logan Campbell Centre waiting for our sound check. It is standard for the support act to wait around for hours while the main act works out the best sound and lighting for the night. To be honest, that's all part of the fun. But this night the clock was ticking loudly and the doors were only an hour away from opening. Everyone was getting very concerned that we might not get a sound check, but there was nothing the band and I could do, so we just sat and watched and waited. David Byrne jumped down from the stage and came up to us and said, I'm nearly finished and I know there isn't a lot of time, so why don't you all set your gear up on stage now while we finish what we are doing? Yes, it's true, he really is that nice. I have this theory that very talented people are very generous of spirit and have great manners. They have an innate confidence that is reflected in the way they act and treat others. It's like they're at ease with the world and how it works. Anyway... We set up our gear while David Byrne finished his sound check. He wrapped up and came over and said something like, Have a great gig, I look forward to hearing your music. I think we had about 30 minutes left until the doors opened, so we had to hurry to get a sound check done. Wayne Bell was hurriedly tightening drum nuts and the guitarists were mucking around with their guitar amps. We were all very high spirited and quite excited about performing when we heard a great thunderous voice. I have a purple shirt. We all looked up and saw this guy saying over and over quite loudly, I have a purple shirt. The band looked at each other and we all agreed, yes, he had a purple shirt on. I have a purple shirt. See this purple shirt? I am the stage manager. Nobody fucking moves until the man with the purple shirt says so. He walked up very close to Wayne Bell and said in a menacing voice, Get this fucking gear off the stage now. We were all like, whoa. We tried to explain how David Byrne had suggested we start setting up, but he was not listening and the colour of his face was starting to match the colour of his shirt. Next thing, Greg Peacock of Oceania Sound was on stage in front of Purple Shirt Guy. Very quietly and with an incredible amount of class and calm, he said, I have a green shirt. And the thing is, I own all the sound equipment, so if you don't lay off the band, me and my crew are going to pack up all of this gear and we are going to go home. So that was that. It was one of those great theatrical moments in life where the timing was just perfect. We had a five-minute sound check before the doors opened and we played our show. Then we watched David Byrne. He was amazing. When I lived in Melbourne in the 90s, my super lovely flatmate Janet Dawes worked at Festival Records and she had amazing taste in music. She was always introducing me to new artists and giving me CDs to listen to. One night she came home with Jeff Buckley's Grace. He was a little known musician from the US then, but Janet said he is going to be huge. And after my first listen, I knew she was right. Some months later I learned that Jeff was going to tour Australia and my then manager, Steve Maurice, asked my record company if I could do the support for him. Because he was such a great unknown at the time, I lucked in and secured support slots in Melbourne and Sydney. The first gig was in Melbourne. It was a small pub venue only holding about 400 people but it was a totally full house and it was very exciting knowing I was going to meet a songwriter who I really admired. I met Jeff and his band at the soundcheck and we all just hung out. It was a very jovial and easy time. After we soundchecked, we looked forward to the performance. That show was the first time I'd ever been to a pub gig when the audience was totally quiet. Not one person said a word as soon as Jeff played the first note on his guitar until the end of that concert. There were no sounds, not one beer was poured, not one glass was clinked. He had everyone in that bar totally mesmerized for the entire time. To this day, it is still the best music event I have ever been to. Nothing has ever come close to where his music took me that night. Jeff told me later that he didn't believe he was a great songwriter, that he often had writer's block and never really knew if his songs were any good. I asked him if he was joking because I thought he was an outstanding writer, but he said that was how he felt about it. He told me that he enjoyed my set and he particularly liked Manic is a State of Mind and so I showed him how to play the intro riff on the guitar. He said he might cover it one day and I thought, "Oh, that would be cool. It was a great night and we said our goodbyes until we met again at the Sydney show. Somehow, although not surprisingly, between Melbourne and Sydney, the tipping point happened. That moment when an artist starts connecting with an audience and suddenly everyone understands the music and they all want to be part of it. It has never been my experience, but just seeing a fraction of the star power that Jeff acquired all of a sudden was enough to make me realise that it would be very life-changing and a bit scary. At the Sydney gig, the Australian roadies would not let my band sound check even though there was enough time and they also wouldn't let me go on stage with another guitarist. I think I called them mean-spirited wankers, but they were adamant I did it alone or not at all. Jeff was very upset for me and the rest of the band, but there wasn't anything he could do as he had just arrived and was about to go on. I played my tunes solo to a few thousand people and the audience responded really well, but they weren't there to see me and I understood that. At the Melbourne gig, no one had been interested in trying to get backstage, but in Sydney, boom. People kept trying to get into the dressing room so they could meet him. Record company executives coming in to fawn over him, and young women desperate for him to notice. We laughed so much at that sycophantic swirl. Jeff told me he hated what was happening and didn't enjoy all the attention. He said he loathed the music industry and everything about it. It felt a bit like we were kindred musical spirits. I appreciated that funny time with him, as I was often the lone woman at many concerts around that time. It was refreshing to be with someone who I could just be a musical friend with. He treated me like everyone else, and that I happened to be a woman didn't seem to come into it. But it's strange how many people thought that perhaps we were getting it on, which we weren't. Of course he blew everyone away with that show, and from then on his career just exploded in Australasia. He said he would love to tour with me again and that he was coming back to Australia really soon. But by the time he did, he was massive and I wasn't. So some other artists were chosen for the Australian League. But true to his word, I did play with him when he came to Auckland in 1996 and that was a really good gig for me. He was a little battle-weary by the time he got to New Zealand. We didn't have a chance to just sit and chat like we did at the last shows. That was probably one of the last international supports I ever did, and Jeff died a year or so later, which was really heartbreaking. I will be forever grateful for the time I got to spend with one of my favourite songwriters ever. I've across the tundra and I've wrestled in Japan. Sailed around the horn and I've raced the island man. And it's following you. This episode of Sportsman of the Year was written and performed by me, Jan Hal Regal. Justin Gregory was the producer and the engineer was Jana Witter. Tim Watkin is the executive producer you can get the book sportsman of the year suburban philosophy which comes with a high resolution download or you can get the cd too at my website janhelregal.com or at record stores and bookshops who are stocking sportsman of the year ask them for it you can subscribe to sportsman of the year at apple podcasts stitcher spotify radio public and of course rnz.co.nz forward slash series please give us a rating more people find out about us that way. Thanks for coming along, enjoy.